Gracious and generous God, your son Jesus, gradually revealed his identity through signs and through teaching. He drew huge crowds as he went. Draw us close to you, we pray, and speak to us through your word that our souls might be nourished and satisfied for the sake of your kingdom, and that others may know your love. Amen. Well, there's something missing in this Harvest Festival. Yes, we've got some lovely flowers behind me, which I've already drawn attention to. But in short, as people haven't been able to get to church, there's no harvest display. So instead, I want you to, in your mind's eye, picture a traditional harvest festival display at the front of the church, perhaps like the image that's now on your screen. A preacher once said to children, uh, can you please name the items that are displayed for harvest? Carrots, potatoes, peas, and cabbage were all mentioned by the children. Good, said the preacher. Now, can anyone give me one word that covers all these things? As quick as a flash, a little boy said, gravy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> There's always one little boy that can make a difference, or girl. <laughs> and in our story, we have a little boy who's made a difference. He has offered what he has to God. And through that offering, Jesus was able to satisfy the needs of many. The boy had five small barley loaves and just two small fish. And when it was offered to Jesus, the bread of life, something happened. Through God's abundant power, through his awesomeness in giving, he feeds the 5,000 through a miracle. But we note that this only happened after Jesus first gave thanks. The Greek word is based on Eucharist, a thanksgiving for God's grace. And it was when Jesus offered that thanksgiving for God's grace, after that he was able to satisfy the needs of the people with plenty to spare. Jesus wasn't just a miracle worker. He was a source of blessing, of life in all its fullness. And on rereading this lesson, there's one verse that really leapt out at me for this harvest. John 6, verse 12. When they had all had enough to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Why does John tell us about the leftovers? Well, in societies where food is scarce, it's unusual to have anything left over at all. And yet the 12 baskets full left over is a sign of God's abundant generosity. The Lord provides so much that there are leftovers. And Jesus says, let nothing be wasted. If you remember nothing else from this sermon today, hear the word of the Lord to us. Let nothing be wasted. Sadly, we do live in a wasteful world. When we've had our fill, we tend to discard the rest, despite others being in need. Just think how much 
food we throw away because it's past its sell-by date, how we waste energy, we waste time, we waste our lives sometimes. Yet Jesus says, let nothing be wasted. In Croydon, our dustmen are fantastic. Uh, They've been doing their stuff throughout lockdown um, with far more garbage to collect as well. And despite all the encouragements not to do so, people have still been clearing, clearing out and dumping lots of rubbish. My wife, Frances, and I have noticed how much more waste at the moment we seem to be generating at home. And that's because we're spending so much time at home. We try to live sustainably. But how much more do we, how much do we throw away that perhaps we could make better use of. And it's actually quite complex, isn't it, dealing with rubbish. I think we've now counted, we've got five bins, and you've got to work out what goes in which bin. It's quite a science, really. Then visits to the tip are complicated as well, or the refuge and refuse and recycling centre, as they're now called. And it can be quite stressful with a man with his clipboard watching to make sure that you've got it in the right skip. I remember going to the dump with my dad and there was just one big skip and you just chucked everything in. But now we have to think about it. And that's not a bad thing. Surely it's healthy for us to think about what we're throwing away. Out of sight might be out of mind, but everything that we chuck ends up somewhere. Proper waste management means managing it from its inception to its final disposal. It's seeking to reduce any adverse effects on health and also the environment, and making the most of the Earth's resources Inconvenient, yes, at times, but very necessary. Now, you might think sorting out all this rubbish is a waste of precious time, but spending time wisely is not actually a waste. Like wasting time with God actually can be a very good thing. Sometimes setting aside time is not waste. It's a good use of it. Just think of uh, land when it's furloughed and it's set aside. And the reason is, by setting that land aside, it can actually do it some good and become more fruitful later. And I think there may be a word there for those who are currently on furlough from work. It's tough. It's going to be really difficult. But make use of your time. Let nothing be wasted. The greatest threat to our planet, said the author and explorer Robert Swan, is the belief that someone else will save it. And that's why we as Christians, like many others who care for the environment, believe that we're entrusted as stewards of this fragile yet awesome and precious planet. Jesus saves. Yes, of course he does. But we have a responsibility as saved people to play our part in the redemption of the world. In Genesis 2, verse 15, we read these words. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. We are caretakers 
of the world that God has given us. The Hebrew words are very revealing. Abad, which means the sense of serving. To work is to serve. And shamar, which is a watchful care and preservation. So when God created us, part of his intention is that we serve the needs of the earth and we preserve it. Abad and shamar. We're free to use God's provision for our benefit because the material world is good, it's given to us, but it's our duty to use it responsibly. Let nothing be wasted. And I believe we have a responsibility to future generations as well, wanting them to be able to grow up in God's good world, not a world that we've destroyed for them. Ponder this thought that was coined by the 20th century environmentalist David Bauer. It's possibly a native Indian proverb. We do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We are borrowing it from our children. Green issues are not just a trendy fad. Extinction rebellion may have some extreme ways of making their point and protesting, but they have some important issues to bring to our attention. Never underestimate the contribution that we can make in response to those issues. And you may think, oh, but Tony, recycling and doing our bit is just a drop in the ocean. But as Mother Teresa reminds us, the ocean is made up of a lot of little drops. If one boy can make a difference in our parable, then we can make a difference. Let nothing be wasted. And our oceans are important. They regulate our climate. They absorb CO2. They are a key source for protein for over a billion people through fish. Let me just show you another picture on our screen at the moment of our oceans. In fact, we need to go back, I think, one. Uh, it's about the oceans that are being spoilt. We pollute our oceans every day. Eight million pieces of plastic enter our oceans. That's 12.7 million tons of plastic every year. One in three fish that are caught for human consumption contains plastic. The damage that we're doing to marine life and our ecosystem is becoming irreparable. And how we behave in the next 10 years will affect the next 10,000 years. Let nothing be wasted. Think about our waste. I'm pleased at Methodist Central Hall, Westminster, that we have had some initiatives that have meant that we have become more sustainable uh, here in this building. 68% of our rubbish is now recycled. 32% is compostable which means that none of it goes to landfill, and we're now platinum certified. Now, I think that's really good. Christians should be leading the way, and here in our conference center and our church, we're trying to take that seriously. Those who work and worship in the building are trying to do our bit, and there's more that we can do, I'm sure. Let nothing be wasted. And I pray that we will have a heart for those who are in need too. 
Leviticus 23, verse 12, which we had read. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Just think, our waste, our generosity could actually sustain others. It's human nature to amass for ourselves, to make sure that we are looked after. But could we actually sacrifice something for others? The gleanings may be. It's God's way to care for the poor, and we share that responsibility. Deuteronomy 24 verse 19, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back for it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Sometimes when the, the, uh, uh, the uh, wagon or whatever they had in those days had the harvest on top, bits would fall off. And they said, don't go and pick it up. Leave it for the poor. It's human nature to say, ah, but it's mine. That's part of my harvest. But let nothing be wasted. Maybe what we leave can be used by someone else when we sacrifice it purposefully. So many people waste their lives. They have no meaning, purpose, or goal. Others may have a goal, but perhaps the wrong one. They chase something that's utterly meaningless in materialism. The principle of not wasting is so much more than food. It's about our lifestyle. If we really believe the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, let nothing be wasted. A West African poem, enjoy the earth gently, enjoy the earth gently, for if the earth is spoiled, it cannot be repaired. Enjoy the earth gently. Amen.